0: Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time, Lord Jesus, that we can gather around your table, that we can feast at your table, that we can eat from your goodness and your kindness and your compassion that is abundant and full. Lord, you lack nothing, Lord God, and you desire to to put it in us. You desire to fill us, Lord Jesus. You desire to bless us. You desire to change us, transform us. You bring your purging fire, Lord God, just so that you make us greater and reflect your glory more. Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything you've done and everything you're going to do. We thank you, Father God, for this nation. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the living stones that you call your church, Lord God, in this day and this hour, that we are rising to your call, because your word is settled in heaven. Your kingdom will come, and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name. So I was thinking about 9-11. I can't believe that it's been 21 years when you really, it's just, you know, everybody in this room instead of the littles would remember. You know how that how that was. And you think about the men and women who woke up thinking that they were just going to work that day. Never see their families. Uh, the suddenness, the suddenness uh, where the enemy comes to rob. We never know when that's going to be. And yet there was miracles in the midst of it. I, I remember uh, one of the girls I worked with in the mall next door. She was just testifying how her brother and her father worked in the towers, and that day, both of them, he, her father woke up with a tremendous toothache and went to the dentist, and her brother overslept, and he didn't get into the city until an hour later, so he wasn't in the towers. And there was many miracles in the midst of that. But at the same time, I don't think we can ever forget the lives that were lost. Just like we wouldn't forget the, the heroes in the Revolutionary War, World War I, World War II. These were people that they weren't signed up for, for military battle and yet these rescue workers ran into those burning buildings to save lives. It's amazing. So we just wanna bless, I wanna just bless their families. Their families still live. And even though it was 21 years ago, There's no way a young child doesn't remember their mom and their dad, how they were at that point. And there's no way that the Lord does not honor sacrifice. He always honors sacrifice. So Father, we just lift the families of the victims that fell, Lord God, on that day, looking and rescuing, Lord God, going in with no cost, no thought to their own life, but to sacrifice for others. We pray for their families, Lord God, and even in the years to come. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are still with this nation you are still blessing America. Even though we failed you, even though we've walked away, we still believe that there's still hope for our nation. In Jesus' name. Sometimes you watch the stories and they're just amazing. There's, so, there's thousands and thousands of stories of rescues and, and um, it's a good time to remember. But today, I feel like the Lord put a word on my heart. I started talking about it a little bit on Tuesday night, so you guys have to hear it again. But um, I was reading in the book of Ezra as we were doing our Bible reading, and there was one scripture that just burned in my heart, and he just kept building it from there. And I want to talk about the altar of the Lord, the altars of the Lord, or the altar of the Lord. And hopefully I can bring it together with my Sudafed dry mouth. So the altar is where we are changed. We are made ready and empowered, where we will find safety for today and for tomorrow. The altars of the Lord, really, prayer is the altar. The reason we go to the altar isn't just for today, for our needs, it's for the protection for our children for tomorrow. It's where we find grace and mercy, where we find his power, where we plead the blood, Right. So when I say we find safety for today and tomorrow, I mean that literally. We're not just going to the altar to ask for a new job. We're not just going into the prayer closet to ask for blessings. We're going and we're calling down his kingdom on our life, his kingdom in our communities, his kingdom on America, because he's a God who hears. So the altar is a prayer they were rebuilt. So after, I'm not going to go through all the history of it, but after, obviously you know this, returning from captivity now in Ezra 3, they come back into Jerusalem. And this is what it says, I think I did the NLT, I always mix them and forget to tell, or write it down, Mariah, sorry, but I'm pretty sure it's NLT. Ezra 3 says, in early autumn when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose, then Yeshua, son of Jehoshadad, joined his fellow priests and Zerubbabel and the son of Shittil with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings. They desired. They wanted to. They were desirous to bring a burnt offering to the Lord, as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar as it, at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord morning and evening. Not just a prayer on your, work, on your way to work in the morning and how we do that. We're so busy sometimes. Or on your way to do something, throw God a prayer. They, there was a time and a purpose set apart for the morning offering and for the evening offering. A time set for God. In verse 4, it says, they celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. 15 days before the festival of shelters began, the priests had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundations of the temple. Before anything else was gonna happen, they knew the most important part was to rebuild the altar. There had to be sacrifice. They were in a place of captivity. They weren't in the temple anymore. They weren't, they weren't able to bring a sacrifice, obviously, to the Lord. So the very first thing they did was to rebuild the altar. That's very important. Before the foundations could ever be restored and rebuilt. So their first action upon returning to Jerusalem, where they, were, where they still met with opposition, was to rebuild the altar. Before the foundation was laid in the face of fear, they chose the most important part, to rebuild the place where they sacrificed to the Lord, restored on its original site with the original God-given instructions. The altar of sacrifice, it was the most precious place and strategies uh, to place it first, morning and evening, when we rise and when we sleep. They had spent years in captivity without the altar or the temple. It was a return, a running to restore. It's like when we run to the mercy seat, right? We, we, had, we can run to the mercy seat at any time. They were running to the mercy seat because they knew they needed to be restored. They, need, they knew they needed to be rebuilt. And the only way to do that is to come to the one true God and to rebuild the altar of sacrifice. It was a place that the God of Israel heard their cries, received their sacrifices that they brought before him. They sought forgiveness there, a place of repentance and consecration. They brought their peace offerings, offering of thanksgiving. The altar was where they gave to God of Israel, to the God of Israel, and received from him forgiveness, compassion, fruitful harvest, healing from disease, protection from their enemies. When Israel turned to God, the plague was stopped, the drought ceased, the enemies were destroyed. They had come out of captivity and learned a great lesson about keeping God's ways and seeking him above all else, putting him first. Here on returning, they knew that their hope of restoration would not be found in government rule. It would not be found in prosperous business dealings or the strength of their priest, but found in God alone. Their desire to build the altar first came from the Father calling them back to himself. Their hope and ours is still the same, the altar of the Lord. Because he is still never giving up on us. And they knew they were still not being pushed aside. He never gives up on us, as we sang in that song. That's why we still believe. In Kings, we also read, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but just a couple of scriptures here. In Kings, we read that Elijah rebuilt an altar. They were in a great famine and drought and desperation. And in 1 Kings 1830, in the Amplified, it says, Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. So all the people approached him, and he repaired and rebuilt the altar, the old altar of the Lord that had been torn down by Jezebel. God's altar has been replaced with pagan altars to Baal. Baal was powerless to send rain to end the drought or send fire upon the altar. He was only capable of bringing the drought, but he could not restore the rain. Then he said, Elijah says, fill four large jars of water, and pour them over the offering of the wood. Elijah takes water, the most valuable commodity at the time, because they hadn't had rain for three and a half years. Their livestock were dying, people were starving, rivers and lakes and crops were drying up. And in verse 30, Elijah says to the people, come over here and look at the conditions. Because when he starts, he says to the people, come over here and watch what I'm doing. You need to see that it's time for the altars to be rebuilt. And the people did approach him. So they came over, at the looked at the condition of the altar and watched what happened when it was rebuilt. He wanted the people to see the power that God would display as he fixed what was broken down, as he brought a sacrifice to God. And that's what happens today. The Lord is so gracious, so filled with compassion, so filled with mercy to want us to return to any degree to where we were at one time in faith and believing for our families, whatever it is in our relationship with him. He's always ready to restore, isn't he? He's always calling us to run to the altar, run to the altar, come to the altar, come to where I am, come up here. He's always calling us. He never stops. So we need to see... Um, where has the altar been broken down? Prayer can't be replaced. You know, what the Lord put on my heart one day, your time with me in prayer cannot be placed with YouTube preachers and ministers. You can watch those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But for the altar to be built in each and every individual life, we have to make time for prayer. I never say that ever, do I? (laughs) Um, To me, it's like all I ever say on a Tuesday night, and I I need to know for myself. The only place that the nation can be built, that individuals can be built, that your family can be prosperous, that you can find healing, is in that place of altars. It's wonderful to hear somebody preach. It's wonderful to watch what's happening on YouTube. I like to do all that research, what's happening in the world, because I believe we're in the end time, so I won't go there. The destruction that's happening, and I watch all those things. But I need to be in my prayer closet. I need to be in my room with my door closed and set aside a time to be with him. That's what we all need to do. And the Lord knew that. and So that's why he even orchestrated an altar in the beginning for morning and evening that we would come to him. So he says that in um, verse 30, and then in verse 37, it says, O Lord, answer me. After he poured all the water out, these are really sticky. He says, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. The prophet always just wants the people to know that it's God calling them back. That's what he wants the people to know, because God put that in the prophet's heart for the people to know. He always just wants to commune with us. So he says, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back yourself, to yourself. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out. He got his answer. The people cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, Yahweh is God. A sacrifice on the altar of the Lord will always bring fire. He will always respond. Elijah rebuilds, and the Lord answers with fire. Whenever the altar is rebuilt, the Lord will answer with fire. He waits for our hearts to come to him. The fire consumed the sacrifice, and a backslidden nation repented. The famine was finished, the rains returned, and Israel won a victory, all because the altar was restored the people saw the power of the Lord. In Leviticus, they were told to bring the sacrifice of God. They were told to bring the sacrifice and that God would bring the fire. In Leviticus 6.13, it says, remember first the fire. Remember the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. And you know, what does the New Testament say? Pray without ceasing. People say, how can you do that? How do you pray without ceasing? I have to work. I have to cook. I have to clean. We have all these things to do. Because in your heart, in your heart, we our altar is we're constantly bringing people to God. We're constantly communicating with him, right? You're constantly walking around your house muttering to him or in your workplace. You're constantly thinking about him. And that takes, that takes time. That takes time to recognize him, to remember him. It takes time to do all those things. But that's what it means by it should never go out. That fire should never go out. Morning and evening sacrifices. We have a relationship. He's not an acquaintance we don't have an acquaintance. The Lord wasn't looking for us to be acquaintances. We all have an acquaintance, right? We have really good friends and we have people, you know, that we don't really know. They're an acquaintance and that's okay, but that's not good enough for God. And the definition actually of acquaintance is slightly knowing that person. They're not close. God doesn't want us to slightly know about him and that's why YouTube videos and just preaching from others doesn't quite make it because you're only learning what they're telling you you're learning of their experience you're learning of what they've experienced and who they know God is but he's saying come to me because I don't want to be an acquaintance with you I need your whole heart I need you to sac- sacrifice to me I need to consec- you want you need to consecrate your life again to me and I will do great things. In Leviticus 9:24 it says, "Then fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar." When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell on their face to the ground. When God answers prayers, that's what happens. We are just rejoiceful. We're, we, we can't help but testify of what He's done. We're like, "Oh my gosh, I just prayed that. I was just asking God to do that. And then you realize that he is hearing. Like in the psalm that Tom read today, Psalm 116.2, I think it says, he hears my voice, right? Because he hears my voice and because he answers me, I love him. So we know today's altars are spiritual ones. The heart, it's our heart that carries the presence of God. A place where we come to meet with him. We can meet with him anywhere. We don't have to go to a geographical location. Wherever we are, he is. If you're at work having a hard time, there he is. He's always with us. So the altars are spiritual ones. A place where we come to meet with him, commune with him, find forgiveness, bring him praise. A place where we die to ourselves and our plans and surrender to God's will. It's really important in this day that we would die to ourselves, surrender our plans, and surrender to God's will. When we come to the prayer room and cry out, we bring sacrifices of prayer, and he hears us. Everything happens at the altar of prayer. It was rebuilt. The first thing they did was rebuilt it because nothing can happen without prayer. There are no shortcuts. Prayer is really the keys of the kingdom. Prayer is where everything is, is decided and made. The altar is the place that God designed for us to meet with Him, receiving His strength, His mercy, His outpouring of love and great compassion. It's a place where we are forgiven and empowered. It's a place where we bring the lost, the broken, the sick, the blind, and the weak. And in that place, with Him, He takes what we bring and He restores, strengthens, heals, He delivers, and He transforms humanity. In our prayer closet, we don't even need to call the people. You don't need to talk to them face to face. You're in your prayer room. You're crying out to God, You know, heal my family in Santa Fe. I can't be with them all the time. But you can move upon their hearts, and you can change them, right? So we're like Rahab, always bringing out the cord, save my family and save all that's theirs. That's what we do in the altar. We're praying for their communities, praying that they don't have floods, praying that they don't have droughts. So in the altar where we come, that's what we're doing. And in that place, with him, he takes what we bring, he restores, he strengthens, he heals, he delivers, he transforms humanity. He's transformed us. So why would he not transform those we're praying for? He fills us with faith. He confirms his covenant with his people. It's where his kingdom comes and his will is done. It's where we are honest before him, declaring our inabilities and weaknesses and receiving his ability and strength. He knows we're weak. We just have to recognize that. I am so weak. You can be strong one day and the next, the next day you're like the cowardly lion, right? You hear bad news and it's, it's all undone. But we don't have to worry about that because God strength fills us and takes us where we can't go. In the New Testament, Jesus himself said in Matthew six six. this is the new King, new King James, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's powerful. I love that scripture. Usually when I go to pray, I always quote it to the Lord. I said, you said if I come in here secretly, you see me. Nobody else knows I'm in here, but you see me, and when I cry out, when I ask you, For um, deliverance, when I ask you for healing for somebody, if I ask you to fill me more, you're going to reward me. But not secretly. He's going to reward you openly. Because he wants people to know that you know the king. He wants others to know that you've been with him. Why? Because they will desire that, and then they want that, right? Then they're like, well, I want to go into my prayer closet. If that's what's happening for you, then that's what I want to happen for me. And it's not just answers. You're changed. You're more peaceful, right? You have more resolve. The fruit of the Spirit starts to, starts to rule and reign in your life instead of your attitudes and your flesh. So all these things happen in that place, in that secret place. So he will reward you openly. It will be known that you have been praying. Answers come, and you will be changed. It will be known that you have spent time, you've brought a sacrifice to the altar, and you serve a God that does here. God still honors sacrifice. Prayer is sacrifice. It takes time, right? It takes commitment. When you first start saying, this is your, this where I'm going to come. I'm going to spend X amount of time with you. I'm going to spend an hour a day with you, and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to be consistent. And you do it a few days, and you miss a day. You go back, and you do it again, just like training your arms for war. But you can't stop. You have to continue to go. You have to continue to run to the altar because we need them now more than ever. So God honors sacrifice still sacrifice of our time will always result in an enlarged heart. A heart changed and prayers answered. His fire still falls. He wants to be the center of our lives. Isn't that amazing? He wants to be the center of our lives. First in our hearts is his top priority. He wants to be first in everything we do. The tabernacle, I thought about this, the tabernacle in the time of Moses was right in the center of the camp. And all the tribes were around it, right? When you look at the picture, like some people say it looks like a cross, but you have, you know, the three tribes over here and three tribes over here and three up here and three down here. And you have the 12 tribes all around the tabernacle. And so he was always in the center. It was always to be that way. When they built the, the tabernacle, or I mean the temple, they built it and the communities were built around it. So now you find churches on the outskirts of town, right? But there was a reason for God to design it like that. The reason it was designed like that is when they woke up in the morning and came out of their tents, what did they see? Right? They saw the pillar of fire. They saw the smoke. They, saw, they smelled the incense of the priest. You could smell them. You could smell the anointing oil, and you could smell the sacrifices. So their senses were filled. Their senses were filled with the presence of God. And so he designed it that way. When we wake up to see him, when we go to sleep, we see him. And even in our dreams, we get to sometimes hear revelation from him, and he visits us there, that way. So that's how it was in the, in the, um, the building and of the tribes and their tents around the tabernacle, and I think that it should be like that for us today. He needs to be in the center. Their senses were filled, totally filled with the presence of God. They saw the pillar of fire as they went into their tents at night, the cloud when they rose in the morning, they heard his voice. They smelled the burning sacrifices within the camp and within their tents. Our senses should still be filled with the presence of God. That is his desire. And the more time we spend in prayer, the more we trust him, the more we depend on him, and he will become our center. He will become our center. He will do it. I wrote down a scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah thirty nineteen, and then Dan gave me verse 18, which is even Um, enhances it even more, so I'll read them more. It says, therefore, Isaiah 30, verse 18 and 19, therefore the Lord waits, this is the amplified, expectantly, isn't that amazing? He actually is waiting, expecting us to return. Therefore the Lord waits expectantly and longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice, Blessed, happy, and fortunate are all those who long for him, since he will never fail them. He never fails us. We might think he does, but he never, ever fails us. 19 says, O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you weep no longer. He will most certainly be gracious to you at the sound of your cry for help. When he hears it, he will answer you. But he needs to hear it. He needs to hear our cry. Not the thought of being with him, but he needs to hear our cry. When we come to the Lord and cry out, he does answer. He waits expectantly to hear our cry. When he hears it, he will answer. So we need to rebuild the altar of prayer. Many people here, they, you already do prayer, pray, so I'm not saying that you don't, But I'm saying, I felt like the Lord said, you need to increase that prayer. You need to spend more time with me. You need to push some things aside and just be with him. I said, when I retire, I hope that I could be like my husband. I don't mean to embarrass him, but he's so disciplined to me. I I never see him in the morning without reading his Bible. I never see him like he's just, he reads his Bible and he prays. He has his prayer list. He works out a little. He eats at a certain time. He's very disciplined. I go, I don't know. I said, Lord, help me. I don't know if I retire. I'd probably like sit around too long. I'd probably sit on the porch and daydream. I would probably not be as disciplined disciplined as him, you know, in those ways. I want to be, but in the place of prayer, I want to be. I've never, ever seen him go to bed without reading his word. So we need to to be that way. I don't mean to embarrass him, but we need to be the people that come in all the time. We're just seeking him all the time. We're living our life, but there's set times a day that we are only with him, just with him. So rebuild the altar of prayer. His mercies are new every morning. Never forget it. He says, come. He is tending our lives from the morning to the evening till the sun rises again. We sang that the other night, right? From the morning to the evening till the sun rises again, he's our shepherd. With his faithfulness and tender mercies, our senses are filled. We run to the altar to find him and he will be found by us. God's intentions will always be to have us near, communing with him, reminding us of his holiness, his protection, his righteousness and strength. It's time now for us to rebuild the altars of prayer. You don't have to be an end times expert to see the condition of the world that we live in. The Lord is calling us to his table, to his abundance, under his protection. That's another reason we pray. We're crying out. We're speaking the blood of Jesus. That's why I love that song. We speak in the name of Jesus. We're speaking the blood of Jesus over our families. Those who don't know him, those who don't know the suddenness that could come to their lives, right? We need to be those people. And so we don't always have to be vocal. You know, the evangelist will have everybody on the streets evangelizing, and that's fine. But there's so much power in the prayer closet that you don't even have to speak a word until the Lord opens the door, and you You are proclaiming his name, speaking his blood over your families, over your communities, that when the floods come, Lord, spare us, right? When the drought comes, Lord, give us rain. We are to do that. He says to come boldly to his throne, and we are to do those things. So he's calling us to his his table, his protection, showing us how to pray, what to pray, uh, what to pray, but it's found in the building of the altar first. The foundations are already crumbled, but when we pray, they can be rebuilt. The nations, (laughs) our nation's foundations are crumbled, right? There's no doubt about it. But you can't just fight it in the government arena. First, it has to be fought in the prayer closet. You have to go to where God hears, and God can move mightily with his power and his angels. Jesus said, go into your prayer room and pray. Pray to the Father. Daniel had an altar, and he prayed three times a day. Abraham, Nehemiah, and Noah, they all built altars. There's really, there's just too many to, to, to name, but when you read the word, that is the basis of their faith. All through the word, anybody that's anybody in the word has a faith and a strength. They were men and women of prayer. The first revival that broke out in, in the book of Acts, it was, a, it was like a hundred, it was like what, how many days, 40-day prayer, <laughs> prayer meeting, right? They were in the upper room. They were praying. They were crying out to God. So that didn't just happen, you know, oh, wow, here we go. It happened through prayer. It happened through waiting on the Lord. And so we today have greater access than they had. We have Jesus, Messiah, the blood poured out for us so that we can always come, always receive grace and mercy, compassion, empowerment, healing, and deliverance. We have the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb. His blood contains power, and that power never weakens. It actually gains greater strength. This is what the Lord said to me. It actually gains greater strength as we apply it to our lives and the life of others. Isn't that powerful? So his blood now is not just spilt on our hearts, but we are proclaiming it, right? We're proclaiming it over our families and the lost. So it gains greater power, greater momentum. As we come to the prayer altar for forgiveness, healing, restoration, and miracles, his blood is crying out. His blood cries out. Isn't it amazing? His blood cries out. The martyr's blood cries out. Abel's blood cried out. How much more Jesus, his blood, speaking to us, to the Father, speaking for us, our advocate. His blood is crying out and accompanying, accomplishing what we never could. Who could stay away from the throne when we understand the magnitude of his desire to answer with his unlimited power? Unlimited power. And before we have communion, I want to read um, to me the perfect example of the running of the Father, and I asked Mariah to play a song before we have communion together, but I just want to read this because in the song, I'll read some of the words. It's just such a visual, it's such a, it's such a way to hear what God is saying to us. He's reminding us, he's reminding us that he comes running to us. We run to the altar, we can walk and stroll to the altar. He just has, he needs that one little turn. He sees that one little turn in our heart, and the Lord is all over it. As soon as he sees the turn and and he says, well, my daughter is turning towards me. She's considering me. He's running. He's after you. And then he's not going to get away from you until the completion is there. That's how desirous he is for us. So before we have communion together, I wanted to remind us of the prodigal son and the words in a song that we're going to sing. Well, we're going to listen. We could sing. We should sing, too. Remembering the Father's love and the blood on, on the mercy seat. Some of the words are this: I see my father's opened arms. I see him running. I see my father's open open arms, bearing my shame, wearing my scars. That's what he does. We all have shame. We all have scars. We've all we've all gone through things. We've all fallen short, right? But in the process of falling short, we have the blood of Jesus Christ. He's like, it's okay. I got you. I have this. I see your heart is repentant. I see that you're turning to me, and. So then the next line says, I fall upon the mercy seat where the blood of Jesus speaks for me. I can't get that one line of the song out of my heart. I fall upon the mercy seat where the blood of Jesus speaks for me. In the course of your life, in the course of this week, in the course of this month, you need to say, Lord, I'm just coming to your mercy seat. I'm running to your mercy seat, not just for myself. When I take communion even by myself, I don't just take it for myself. I'm taking it for my family. When I'm remembering Jesus Christ, I'm remembering what they're going through, and I'm taking it for them. There's power in the blood. There's power in communion. There's power in understanding that at that mercy seat, his blood is speaking for us. Then it says, this is one of my favorite lines too, he says, I'm not a beggar anymore. See, before we came to Christ, we were beggars, right? We're on the outside. But uh, we're not a beggar anymore. The prodigal son was a beggar, right? He took he squandered all his inheritance and he was a beggar. But there was a time where he says hey he came to his senses and he goes what am I doing? I need to go back to the father, maybe he'll forgive me. And so when he goes back, he's not a beggar anymore. He comes running, the father comes running to him. We're not a beggar, we come boldly before the throne. He's not remembering anything you did, he's not remembering what you've lost, what you meditated on, what your temper tantrum. He's not thinking of that. He's happy that you're there. You're his child. What mother or father would push aside their child? So, you know, you're a little dirty. Can you go clean up and then come back and talk to me, right? Uh, You stink a little bit. Go take a bath, and then we'll talk. The father doesn't care. He's like, come to me. Just come. I I need to talk to you. We We need to have a conversation. I need to speak to you. So he says, I'm not a beggar anymore, so I come running. I see the father's open arms. I'm not a beggar anymore, so I come running. I fall upon the mercy seat where the blood of Jesus speaks for me and we are returning to the altar ourselves. We're running to the mercy seat where his blood is speaking for us. The blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, his blood speaks for you and me. When we turn to him, when we push our plans aside, when we pray at the altar, the father comes running and he sees his his child washed in the blood of his son and he hears, and what he hears is the blood of Jesus speaking, not guilty, delivered, made whole, healed, filled with his glory. He sees the inheritance restored, all that we squandered, and he commissions us again to be in his service, right? Because what did he do? He gave him a a robe, he gave him sandals, and he gave him a ring of authority when he came back. So he is still, Jesus still, and always will be our advocate. His love for us is beyond our comprehension. His heart is full of compassion, and we are always welcome, full of compassion. Psalm 145.8 in the New King James says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy, right? And I like not all, all the um, versions say full, but it's, it's an important word because it's greater than compassion. Full means there's an abundance of compassion that you can't even run out of, there's no way to run it dry. It's not, like, it's not like we need a little bit of moisture, like from the rain, to grow our plants. God's compassion will never, ever, 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 ever run dry. You have enough for your whole entire life. You have enough for your life, for your children's life. Full, abundant. He's abundant in compassion. We return to the father's house just like the prodigal. We may not be living a life of sin like he did, but we might be neglecting the altar a little bit. We might be neglecting his house. As we give ourselves to the rebuilding of prayer, we will find ourselves, like the prodigal, eating at the table in the father's house, feeding on his word, filling our appetite with his presence and purpose and praying. Praying, not playing, is what I heard. I want you to be praying, not playing. He's all for playing, but we need to be praying also. The only answer in the days that we live is returning to prayer, as Israel had, restoring the altar first before anything else was restored, as Ezra had. Rebuilding as Elijah had, and a nation turned back. The drought ended, and the rains came, and they had a victory. Our greatest protection now and always will be to be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. The prodigal, was not a, he was not a beggar anymore. So quickly in Luke 15, uh, 17, it says, But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm, no, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He was willing to be a slave. So he, came, so he got up, and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off, I don't know how long that is, but his father had to be looking for him every day. He never gave up on him, like the song we sang. He never, ever, ever will give up on us. His father saw him. He felt compassion, that full compassion for him. He ran, embraced him, and kissed him. So while he was a long way off, the father saw him. He never stopped waiting for his return. There was always, there's always faith in God's heart. He has faith He's got great faith. You know, we think, like, well, Lord, we, we have to have faith. Well, he's got faith. He has faith to believe that we'll actually become something, right? He has faith to believe that he can finish what he started in us, you know, with a rebellious crowd. I mean, that's pretty—he is a God of great faith. <laughs> so, and as the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said, quickly—I love how it says quickly— he was saying, I don't even want you to hesitate. He said to his servants, quickly, move right now, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for the sin, the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost, and now he has been found, and they began to celebrate. Quickly, dress him in his rightful clothes. He said, don't delay. It's an unnecessary delay. He never spoke of his past mistakes, but immediately put it him, back into his rightful position at the table. See, that's our rightful position. Sometimes people feel dry. They feel, I don't know. I don't feel the presence of God anymore. What's the matter? You not, might not be in sin. You just feel a little dry. Or you, look, you think about the things in the past, how it was for you back you know, when you were in a revival time. But we're not to do that. We're supposed to come to the table daily, right? We need to eat fresh manna. And so what happens is when we start thinking like that, we forget the most precious thing we have, and that's the altar. And as we do that, we eat with him. We sit at his table. The Lord puts robes of righteousness on us. He puts sandals on our feet, prepared with the gospel of peace. And he puts the ring of authority back on our finger, saying, listen, you haven't lost anything. You come boldly before me. You ask what you want, and I'm going to answer. I am going to deliver your friend. I am going to help your family. I am going to bring rain to a droughted, a droughted region, right? So that's what we have in him. Jesus even said in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door. And I continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in and eat with him, restore him and he with me. So it's about feasting with him, eating with him, hearing his word. He speaks to us in ways that you only know when you're with him. The altar of prayer supplies the food of the Lord, fellowship with the king, friendship with the savior, a continual flow of heavenly manna. I might have just ended there. I lost a page, but that's okay. Nope, that was it. Then we're going to have communion. So that's what we're having when we come to the altar. We're going to listen to the song. I just really want you to listen to the words. So as we hold, um, we'll take communion together as soon as the song is over. But as you are listening to it, just give him your heart again. Give him your life again. Say, Lord, I do come to you, but I want to come to you more. I do know you, but I want to know you even in a greater way. I want to be responsible. I want to be one that will hang the cord out like Rahab did. Rahab really fought for her family. If it wasn't for her, they wouldn't have even existed. They would have died in Jericho along with the others. But we have that kind of strength and power when God makes a covenant with us, right? So enjoy this song. You'll feel his presence.